Welcome to our podcast channel, brought to you by the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Subscribe to our channel as we provide you with curated content and in-depth conversations by industry experts and leaders across Singapore, ASEAN and the United Kingdom. In the next episode of BCC Global Network Insights, we sit down with the British Chamber of Commerce in Thailand. Executive Director Greg Watkins and Carl Selick, Regional Managing Director and Global Sales Director of Lucy Electric, tell us more about the trade and investment market in Thailand, setting up a business there, COP26 and the road to net zero. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Today, I am joined by Greg Watkins, Executive Director of the British Chamber of Commerce in Thailand, and also Carl Selick, Regional Managing Director and Global Sales Director of Lucy Electric Thailand Limited. A very, very warm welcome to you both. Thank you for your time. Greg, first of all, I believe for the past 21 years, you've been working on promotional bilateral trade and investment between the UK and Thailand under the British government and, and the private sector, now with the Chamber. Can you tell us a little about your journey and your experiences and and, and how you got to Thailand in the first place? Sure. Thank you, David. And and thank you indeed for engaging BCCT in your program podcast. It's great to be involved. Um, It's actually 31 years that I've been involved rather than 21. But um, I think if we track back to to the early part of my career, I was involved with the British government on the um, export support desks in the Department of Trade and Industry working on trade promotion work, trying to support companies exporting and investing in the markets of Southeast Asia. Uh, During that time, I covered Thailand, Burma, Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam in different different roles. I was also fortunate to be introduced to trade policy work, advocacy support work, which is obviously a key part of what we do as a chamber ordinarily and more so what we're doing now in, uh, in this particular pandemic. Um, I also uh, worked five years as marketing director for a business research company here in Thailand that was actively involved in in a similar role, but in a much more structured basis in supporting companies enter the Thai market. And we weren't we weren't just focusing on on British companies. So I guess I guess my whole background before I joined the chamber was in providing support to predominantly British companies to enter the Thai market and. The one thing I, that I emphasize to any company that we're working with is that we are actually an SME. We are run as a business. So we feel all the concerns and challenges that SMEs encounter in their business lives in country. And we have direct experience of that in, in structuring our support to companies. You must have seen Thailand change enormously from a, a, a business perspective. Can you just take us through some of the, the journey that you've seen, some of the changes that you've seen and, and, and where some of the excitement is in, in Thailand? Sure. I mean, this may seem a little, a little facetious, but, but you know, the, the markers that you, uh, you, you use to judge a, a country's progress. When I first came to Thailand, there were no metered taxes. Um, you, you had to negotiate fares to go around Bangkok as a city and there was no draft beer. So, um, you know, you, you, can, you can judge a country's development, but, but more seriously, I mean, this, this Thailand as a country and Bangkok as a city are very mature places in which to do business. And I think the way that Thailand is portrayed in, in the media, not just the mainstream media, but business media, really underplays that. Um, 
And, you know, UK companies in general over the last 20, 25, 30 years have not exploited the opportunities in Thailand, the business opportunities, as well as companies from Germany, Italy, France, Australia, etc. British companies have a lot to offer the Thai market. But whether we focus on the more traditional ex-colonial ex markets of Malaysia and Singapore where companies feel safe or where our heads are turned by Indonesia and Vietnam as the, uh, the new opening markets in, in Southeast Asia or, or I think, you know, in London, in UK, there's been so much focus on China and India that the opportunities in our region have, have tended to take second or third fiddle so my, my, basic, my basic pitch is Thailand is, is a mature market. It has de developed enormously in the last 30 years. It still has opportunities for UK companies and will have as, as, as the years go on. Could you give us a flavour of the, some of the, sort of the, key, the key market segments that you're seeing sort of growth and opportunity for UK, UK businesses in? Is it around infrastructure? Is it finance? Is it education? Is it pharma? Uh, yes. And more. I mean, there's no simple answer to this because there are there are opportunities across all sectors in the economy. Some there may be difficulties to enter the market if there's already high competition, but Thailand's focus from a government perspective is is on the eastern economic corridor of Thailand, which 30 years ago was their first wave of manufacturing investment, and that's where Lucy is 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 located at the moment. But their focus now is on anything, anything tech related. So digital parks, biotechnology, agri-tech, next generation automotive, energy, biofuel, bio, biochemicals. There's, there's a huge emphasis on these projects in that part of the country coming together with, with major infrastructure projects, linking the three airports, um, the three major airports in Thailand and new road projects. So, I mean, I know in an Asian context, we've seen all these things before and we'll only believe them when they actually happen. So the focus is Eastern Economic Corridor, but, you know, as an organization, we're also working with food and drink companies and getting their products into, into Thailand. Education companies, now, now with many of our, our great vocational education trainers in UK going to a virtual platform for delivery, there are huge opportunities with companies here in Thailand that, you know, three months ago, they'd have been focusing on the purely physical training aspects in classes. So what is the, what's the sort of advice and support that BCCT provides a British company when they're looking at exploring the, the, the market in Thailand? What, what sort of, how, how do you provide advice for companies that are, are looking at the opportunity to export or, or, or grow in the country? I think we, we maintain a as bespoke a service as possible. We try not to be off the shelf. If we're too general, then the, the, the advice we give is too general. So we engage very specifically with each company, determine their needs. We actively, forcefully encourage UK companies to do as much desk research as they possibly can so that they, more often than not, come to us with a series of questions that they can't find answers to and that forms the basis of our support to them. Then it goes on to the next stage, which is finding an in-country representative or whatever route to market they may have, whether it's direct sale, franchise operation, investment, finding potential joint venture partners, even finding potential investors. So our support can be anything from, you know, what are the rules 
about getting beer into the Thai market to, you know, we want to invest in a brewery in Thailand. How do we do it? Do you see any companies coming into Thailand and then, you know, setting up their regional hub there and then looking to export across other areas of the ASEAN market? Is that, is that a model that, that companies look at that you can support them with? Um, certainly we can support them with it. And the Thai government has, has something called a regional operating headquarters uh, scheme, a promotional scheme. I mean, the benefits of that aren't quite as good as they might be. And we're, that's something we do lobby on. And I, I think it's up to 50 plus companies have done that, which is which is really small considering, you know, the potential of that. And I, I think if the if the incentives, particularly the tax incentives, were a little bit more than a, a 0.5% saving, you know, then they'd go for it a little bit more. But yes, logistically, you know, the Indochina markets, every capital city 55 minutes or less away from Bangkok. So logistically and in a business sense, Bangkok being a huge and well-developed city yes all all the all the aspects are there to promote that i think it's just a matter of getting the the package right greg that's it's really good and we'll come back to you in a minute but we're, we're absolutely delighted to be joined by one of your members carl Selleck, regional managing director and global sales director of lucy electric thailand limited carl a real pleasure to have you on the line as well we've heard a, a, a lot about what the chamber's doing and a little bit about the market and the opportunities there so carl could you sort of talk through as a business leader in secondary power distribution tell us a little bit more about the company its presence in thailand and why thailand Yes, of course. Uh, good morning, David, and uh, happy to be here. Yeah, uh, Lucy Electric, not a big name, I guess, for, for most of our members and, and most of your members. Um, we are a, a company over 200 years old, actually, uh, headquartered in Oxford in the UK, um, making effectively large switches. That's the easy way of putting it. Uh, so uh, basically anybody that needs a power supply, um, a big power supply, cities, hospitals, schools, etc., may have one of our products uh, there as a kind of interface to the electrical network. So we are, I think we would have been called or, or termed an SME a few years ago, probably a bit bigger than that now, turnover probably approaching 200 million sterling. Um, we have around 1500 people employed globally in the UK. We have factories in the UK, we have factories in the Middle East, we have factories in India, factory in Brazil, and indeed in Thailand, as you, as you point out already. Uh, so Thailand, we've been here for six years now. Um, we have a manufacturing unit uh, in Rayong province, which is south, sort of east of Bangkok, around 150 kilometers away from the capital. And we have an office in Bangkok itself, where basically we do the business from. Uh, interesting point you made earlier about the hub. Uh, we, are, we are here and exporting. In fact, we primarily set up the factory to export rather than to attack the, the Thai market, which for us actually is relatively small, it was. Um, it's improving, but we, we didn't come here specifically to enter the Thai market. We came here to enter the, 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 well, to enter the regional market and also to establish a global supply base. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey, um, not without its problems. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, as, as Greg has alluded to and, and often says, you know, you come into it eyes wide open, do your research. Uh, we certainly wouldn't do it uh, again as we've done it this time around. Uh, I think that... Um, uh, we had good experience globally of exporting, but I think, again, a point Greg made earlier, we had a lot of experience with I would, you know, the old Commonwealth regime, lots of history in Malaysia, lots of history in Singapore, Hong Kong, and so on, Australia to some degree, and very little knowledge or activity in Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, and so on. And I think we came in here thinking that we probably knew how to do it, and we probably didn't. And it took us a few years, actually, to really get 
and understand how this place works, understand how the people work and how they react, how to manage them. Uh, and finally, I think now we've turned the corner and doing quite well. I mean, would you would you be willing to share with our, our listeners some of the, some of the specific challenges that you faced and what you wish you might have done better as a business to try and provide that advice for those that are, are looking to explore the market? Sure. I think well, it's no surprise. And I, I often have these conversations in chamber events. So, I mean, we're, we're quite open about, you know, what we think we've done wrong and, and what we've done right. Um, and if we just to uh, just move on from why we picked Thailand, I think we'll come back to that. But I think we, we tried to do several things. We had a new product in a new factory, in a new market with people that we had no experience with. Our language skills were certainly lacking. And our, I think our cultural understanding was lacking also. Even though we had a lot of experience in, in as I said earlier, in some markets, I think we thought we could treat um, the Thai setup and the Thai factory a bit like we handle others and manage others in, in India, in the Middle East and so on. But it's proven to be much more difficult. I think we were surprised um, to some degree, we weren't quite able to get the skills we needed as quickly as we wanted to. That comes back a little bit also to Greg's point about vocational training. One thing that's sadly lacking here is I would put it that that intermediate skill between school and university, the people who in old parlance, I'm I'm getting on a bit, so some of our members will know what I'm talking about, sort of kind of HND, OND, HND kind of level, people who didn't want or have to go to university but nonetheless uh, were able to develop really good skills applicable to the workplace that that that's lacking here and still is and there's lots of activity and lots of government talk and, and some action um about dealing with that but that that's been a problem so you know uh, a business runs by people it's it it needs people um despite all the new new technology we've got around us and and I would say that's our major that was our major issue. Uh, we've basically changed all the management team from the time we came here. Just didn't fit together, and we really didn't. I think culturally we 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 now understand it, but we 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 were looking at this as if it was just for us just a, another expansion of what we already did. So I think knowledge of the market and the people is huge. There's also political issues. You know, it's quite difficult in some respects to work here. Uh, we probably took a decision to go into a customs-free zone for, for reasons that I said earlier, we were going to export. This was really an export base, so that made sense. But that's created huge issues, political ones and, and technical trading issues, and the amount of paperwork, um, and I mean that literally, the amount of paperwork that we have to do as a free zone company in Thailand is huge. So I would, again, uh, if people are considering a free zone enterprise in Thailand, really, really understand what it means for you, uh, really geared up for it. And I, I can't underestimate uh, or overestimate or overemphasize, sorry, how important the people who interface with the customs department and the BOI, the Board of Investment here, are. They're almost the most important people in our company, rather than the general manager or the finance director. If they make a mistake, it, it really has serious implications. So that's that's another bit of advice I'd give to any prospective investor. Thank you for sharing that. I think I think that's that, that's really interesting. And yeah, you know, were there were there ways that the chamber able to help you navigate that? I mean, from your perspective, getting involved with the chamber in Thailand, did it provide that support mechanism that we can we can showcase to other British businesses? Sure, I, I think. In fact, and I, I also said this, and uh, Greg's heard me say it, and I'm sure that one of the reasons we eventually chose Thailand was the very good link. Uh, and in fact, almost seamless uh, link, I would suggest, between the British Chamber, the Thai Board of Investment here, who's responsible for inward investment, and also Emergency's government, in that, in that case, the DTI, as it was at the time. 
And in fact, that those three parties really worked very well together to try and uh, bring us in, uh, make us understand uh, what we were getting into, and really support us through the early days and, and the setup. We, conversely, uh, we'd looked at other countries as well in Southeast Asia. I, I won't go into which ones, as I think that's fair, but certainly the Thai, uh, the combination of those three bodies in Thailand really made it for us. That, that actually tipped it over the edge, because if you'd asked me and my opinion when we were making the decision, and it wasn't actually my decision, I had input to it, but it went back to our board of directors, who are, let's say, um, uh, they've been around a long time. And um, I wouldn't say they're elderly, but they've been around a long time. And I, I was pretty sure they'd pick another country. And it was quite amazing. I sat in this meeting and they all said Thailand. And I think a lot of that actually is credit to BCCT and, and the team of, as it was at the time, the DTI and, and indeed the Thai Board of Investment, who made it, who really put a lot of time and effort into attracting us here. So, so uh, hats off to all three, really. Thank you. That, that's a really, good, a really, really strong message as well to our listeners in the UK that are, are looking at ASEAN and countries in, in Asia as an opportunity to, to further support their, their growth outside of the UK and Europe, that there is a really strong support network of British Chambers here. And that's, that's, it's brilliant to hear your journey and the support that, that Greg's provided. Obviously, COP26 is, is, on, is on hold this year, but the road to net zero is obviously a really, really important piece globally. The increase in alternative energies, the renewable energy piece, how does, that, how does that shape your business? And what are the opportunities in Thailand from that sort of new energy discussions that, that, are, that are going on at the moment? Okay, well, uh, we are heavily involved in, in, in that. I mean, uh, fortunately for us as a UK company, we're one of the first countries to have a heavily divested, if you like, uh, power networks business. So uh, a long time ago, our power providers were privatized. And that drove, that's been driving a lot of this since. And renewable energy in the form of wind initially, but now solar PV farms is huge in the UK. And we've been involved from the start. So it, it's pretty easy for us to sort of, let's say, um, talk to people in other countries about what's happened in the UK. Use that as example and use, use our experiences to talk through their options. So, so for us, it's good. There are challenges uh, with regulations and so on in Thailand. And I would say that the Thai equivalent of, let's say, the national grid in the UK and the, the DNOs, the distribution network operators, are a bit less, less, or have been a bit less enthusiastic about embracing it. Uh, I think they saw it as a threat uh, to them to some degree. And how do they charge for it? There's been a lot of that. So, for example, uh, rooftop energy and solar panels, big fight to, uh, to get that to a position where it's viable for, for the householders here and even commercial enterprises, i.e. sell back to the network. Uh, now that's happening. Um, it's improving, it's, it's, it's going better. For us, it's created extra business opportunities, but our core business really is in the supply of network electricity to or switches and switch gear and products to the, if you like, the power supply companies. So every time there's a, there's a generation plant, a PV plant, a wind farm, we do have options and, and um, opportunities for connection to the system. Slightly complex electrical systems, but we are able to deal with that. It's created a little bit of complexity in our business, but that's good. And certainly from a regional basis where we are competing with China in our sector, they're not very agile. I mean, one thing I find about the Chinese uh, competitors in our particular business, very interested in big volume standard product, as you'd expect. When there's more bespoke detailed engineering work, it's not really them. And that's where we can add value. That's where we win. That's where we gain. And a lot of our business through renewables, through uh, uh, net zero options, 
is adding complexity. It does add complexity, but it's a complex connection uh, issue to the main grid. So we are very, very keen to push that agenda uh, because for us, it, it eliminates, not eliminates competition, but it certainly creates a, a, a much easier platform for us. Outside of Thailand, are there, are there other countries that you're looking at that are sort of core markets for you in, in Asia? Yes, um, as I said a bit earlier, we, we've had a long history, for example, in, uh, in Malaysia and Singapore. For example, in, in Singapore, Power Grid, uh, the, the utility in Singapore, has been using Lucy products almost exclusively for 30 plus years. So we, we're strong in the region. Similarly, in Malaysia, through the uh, operator Tanaga National, again, a supplier for 30 years, Hong Kong. So, so that's there already. Uh, what we've been able to do by being in Thailand is leverage this now into Cambodia, into Vietnam, into Philippines, into Laos to some extent, although, you know, a smaller market. And that's been really positive. And I would say somewhat of a surprise for us. As I said earlier, we, we really set this up, uh, the business and the factory to export globally. And it would uh, pretty much the, the numbers suggested that 95% of our products would end up outside of ASEAN. I think we've done better than we thought we would actually in the local market by being here, which again says a lot. And as I look back, it doesn't really surprise me because we've got the same model elsewhere. But I would say now uh, perhaps 20, 25% of our volumes go into, uh, you know, the local network as it were, uh, Thailand and, and the surrounding area. So that's been very positive. And having an ASEAN trade uh, deal also really helps us despite being in the free zone and all the problems that gives us. We still are considered clearly a Thai company. Uh, we can use um, that to, to our advantage in terms of exporting duty-free into the region. So that's another benefit. And I think finally for us, we, we had aspirations to attack the Chinese market. And one minor consideration about it being, and it was minor because the real, the real reasons I've given already for coming to Thailand. But one consideration was the fact that interestingly in our sector with our codes, HS codes, which are the, the commodity codes that we, we manufacture, is there's a duty-free agreement with Thailand for China, where there wasn't for perhaps, let's say, Malaysia. Malaysia, there is, a, there is a duty pay if you export into China and vice versa, but for Thailand, there's not. So that gave us an option to export into China, which perhaps we haven't done as well as we would have liked, but that's coming as well. So, so it's been a great place to be. And um, I think, as I said earlier, slightly surprising we've done as well as we, as we have. As a business that's headquartered in the UK with a sounds like a really great operation in, in Thailand, the opportunities to export, the free trade piece, etc. Do you see your base in Thailand as being a better route to access the China market than it would have been if you were selling directly from the UK? Is that is that a selling point of being in Asia? Does it get you closer to a much bigger population, much bigger market such as China? And are there benefits of being based in Malaysia rather than having having that export strategy coming direct from the UK? Yes, um, yes to all of those things. Uh, you know, if I, if I look back and why did we want to set up in, in ASEAN anyway, regardless of whether it was, uh, it was Thailand or, or somewhere else. Basically, uh, Lucy, uh, our business was really, really condensed and, and very successful in the Middle East. And we operate in markets, we're known for operating difficult markets where perhaps our competitors struggle a bit. You know, we have exports even now to Libya, Sudan, uh, under trade uh, sanctions and, and, and through appropriate channels. You know, the Middle East is the Middle East and there's always a risk that, uh, you know, things go wrong and they do and they are often. And uh, we felt we had too many eggs in that basket effectively. So what we tried to do, diversify, we looked around where we got a presence already. Well, we're already in Southeast Asia, as I said earlier, Malaysia, Singapore, etc. 
And we felt that uh, looking at the demographics and the options going forward, that's going to be a huge sector. A lot of our work is about undergrounding cabling. And you'll know uh, if you travel around the region in places like Vietnam and Thailand, particularly, everything's overhead. Big, messy cable networks. Um, not so much in Singapore, Malaysia, for example, because it mirrored what we do in the UK, i.e. cabling cities. These guys uh, run lines overhead. So for us, there was a huge advantage, a huge market potentially there. And that, again, gave us access to the region and, and as I said earlier, China. And we've had some success in China, but in China, 150 competitors or so. So it's not, a, it's not a particularly easy market to get to. But certainly we would not have tried if we were in the UK. It's just too far away. And, and there's a lack of understanding, you know, in some respects about China. And our board, it has to be said, uh, you know, very, very skeptical of places like China. You know, as I said earlier, they've been around a long time. Uh, if I said to them, right, we're going to go and set up a, a, a factory in China, they would have been given short shrift, as it were. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a sort of uh, antipathy towards that. So being here definitely gives us a better option for that market. Fantastic. I've, I've got to quickly ask the COVID question. How, how are you coping as a business? Um, how's Thailand been coping as a, as, a, as a country as well? Have you had some challenges there? Yeah, I mean, if you come to the country first, you know, if you read the statistics, there's not a problem, quote unquote. You know, uh, how, how accurate those, those number size is perhaps a, a, anyone's guess. But I think, to be fair, I mean, I'm, I'm not the, uh, you know, I have to be a bit careful here, don't I, really? I, I'm not the biggest fan of this government, but uh, I think there are some things that have done reasonably well. In terms of manufacturing and, and where we are, there's been no compul uh, compulsion to shut any of the factories, I think, from a government point of view, which is good. And that's maintained our, our presence and our activity levels. And in fact, if you look globally at this electrics footprint, this is now the most successful factory. All the others at various points in time, uh, including the UK and uh, various uh, regimes that cause, you know, that are causing us issues. And particularly in India, uh, which is a huge issue for us. Uh, so, so on the face of it, absolutely wonderful. We've got no, uh, there's been no redundancies. There's no uh, compulsory holidays being taken. We're reviewing that all the time on a daily basis. Almost it feels we have a COVID meeting with the board. But uh, I would say that the problem we have here is supply chain. I think that that's our big problem. And we've heard a lot about global supply chains. And we were one of the first to do that as a relatively small company. We resourced um, source products, offshore products and parts to China, to, to uh, India, particularly because we've got an Indian presence. And right at the start of this, we had problems with our Chinese supply chain because uh, some of our products or some of our parts that, that actually were needed in our Thai built products were coming from China. So that we had a few weeks of uh, disruption there, but we managed to get through that. And in fact, one of our key suppliers was in Hubei province, quite near to Wuhan. So that, that was a, an extra challenge, but we managed. Our real issue now is with India. Um, we, we buy a lot of parts in India. And, and in fact, one of our factories in India is a, is a supplier to our global factory network. So they are under massive uh, you know, constraints in how they do business. Uh, we open one day, then we shut. Um, they change their policies you know, daily almost. Um, they're very reactionary. We really don't know what's going on uh, or what's going to happen uh, you know, one day to the next. And that's the challenge for us now. We are busy, actually, and I'm leading a resourcing program now for all Indian components to be resourced in other countries. And in fact, I've been writing a report this morning. We've been successful at the moment in, in relocating some of our products to Thailand itself, to Malaysia and to China. That's uh, a big project. That's an ongoing project in the last nine, nine months to a year. But that's telling us that we need a more local supply chain. 
And I think that's that's it more a more uh, let's say a, a bigger picture thing. And I think that's where we'll see people moving. Um, so we are working with Thai companies who, to some extent, have been struggling. And we've gone to them and said, look, I mean, can you do these things? You might not have been doing it previously, but is it something we can consider? And that's working. It's really is. Uh, it's very encouraging so far. The, the the advances we've seen there. Great to hear that. And yeah, even though it's a, a very difficult time, it's great to hear your thinking around a local supply chain around the region as well. Really, really good. Greg, just bringing you back in. How how are you finding companies are dealing with COVID at the moment, and and how how's the chamber helping them? Sure, I, I think it, it really varies. I mean, Carl and Lucy have their have their issues and challenges. Most of our members are SMEs, fifty employees or less. We're talking about eighty five percent of a six hundred strong um, corporate membership. Things like uh, cash is king at the moment, obviously for the smaller companies. Also, being as flexible as possible, light on their feet. We're seeing. Now that now is not the time for a hard sell, a direct sell in, in what companies are doing, particularly in the services sector, a much softer sell, engaging customers, perhaps releasing a little bit more knowledge into the open public environment than they might have done previously. So getting that company brand and messaging out there is key. But um, we've collected 76, 77% of our annual membership fees this year, which doesn't sound like a lot but you know we're, we're we're happy with that we're slightly ahead of where we were last year um, we have another five to ten percent of members on installment payments deferrals barter arrangements particularly in the hospitality sector so in terms of us engaging with our members we're being as flexible as we possibly can with the objective of keeping members with us going into 2021 which we think will be the tough year um, to get through before things um, start rebounding in, in 2022. So um, I have four of my frontline staff now engaged purely on outreach to members. And we think even with a 600 strong membership, we can have one substantive contact with each member each month. And that's a, that's a pretty heavy undertaking. And I don't mean sending an email. I mean, picking up a phone or, or talking as, as we are now on, on Zoom or whatever, whatever format. Um, in terms of what the Chamber's done and how we've moved, like many, we move very swiftly to a, to a digital platform. But I think like many, we're seeing quite a lot of webinar fatigue from our members who, are not, who don't really want to go through the one hour. So um, we've, we've now developed a speed webinar format, which is 10 to 15 minutes presentation, five minutes Q&A, and then everyone's gone. And we're getting 50 to 60% higher attendance for those than we are for the longer events. So again, we're following our own advice with members. We're, we're staying light on our fleet, flexible, reacting on an almost daily, if not weekly basis to, to what our members are telling us that they like. Um, we're not afraid to do something a little bit different with our hotels. We've reached out and we've started a COVID cookbook. Um, so engaging the chefs in the hotels, just a simple video on a, on a phone, you know, three to five minute dishes that our members can replicate at home, something simple. And we now have 15 hotels that have done that and we're reaching out and it, it's a hook for us to reach out to hotels that may be closed at the moment. We've created different resources. We have a coronavirus hub where we collect all the information and releases from government 
and the, the accounting business management companies, put them all in one, one place rather than sending multiple emails to members once something is, is released. And we're about to launch next week a virtual marketplace, which is a similar one page, like a yellow pages, but much easier to navigate than our normal online directory structure. So members can find a service or a product that they may need. And in fact, we've stretched that to a little members help members button, which has a list of plumbers, electricians, air condition repair people that our members have recommended which can these people can be very difficult to source locally so a long answer to your to your question david but i think the key message is staying flexible and being able to react quickly oh that, that's brilliant greg thank you and you know I, again just sort of reiterating the point of the importance of the chamber to support businesses through this time right and you know we will come out of this and there's a great platform as we've heard from carl around what that the chambers can give Thank you so much to both of you for your time. I guess just picking up on the three things that Carl had highlighted around sort of really getting your knowledge of the market right and people and understanding the policies in place as well. I guess just coming back to you both as a, as a final comment, if there were three top things you'd advise a company straight away, what, what would they be when they're looking at Thailand as a market? I have, I've had a two line or two word mantra two phrase mantra since I first started work on Thailand. And again, it sounds facetious, patience and common sense. Things don't happen here quickly. We have a bureaucracy that has 10 people doing two jobs. So then that patience aspect comes in. If you have a form that asks you for 20 things, just give them the 20 things that they want, that common sense aspect. But my third point really is, is it comes from our, our comments before, um, Carl's comments before. If you're looking to enter the Thai market, or if you're even here already, the amount of time researching yourself on the computer and the amount of information that's openly available on the public networks is huge. And that time you spend is invaluable. And the only cost to you is your time in doing it. Again, it sounds facetious, but I've seen so many times where, you know, people have asked us for information and how much it would cost. And we've just given them three links to find it out there on the web so desk research and you you can't really do enough preparatory research before you come to the market oh you've given some great insights is there is there a sort of a summary top three things you you'd advise uk businesses yeah i think so and i, I reiterate the patience one I, i'm i'm known internally and externally as not particularly patient person uh so so being here has uh, uh, certainly helped uh, me uh, come to cribs come to terms <laughs> with that so, so patience is, is key, that's one. I think also, I'm mean, talking about people again, I can't, I can't uh, talk enough about people. And I think spending the time to get the right people in your business right at the start is, is, uh, is absolutely key. And don't rush into it, talk to people, use a lot of, I mean, different recruitment means and methodologies and really understand the people that you're employing. You've got to ultimate trust. Everything is done in Thai, you know, we as expats, you know, typically don't read Thai and, and most of us don't speak it either. So, so you've got to have enormous trust in the people around you. So getting that, that the people right and getting people you can trust to run your business, because in the end, actually, they do run your business. You might think you run it, but they run it. So, so getting the people to trust is, is immense. My father always said to me, don't sign anything you don't understand. And that was a great message when you're in the UK, reading English or even Welsh in my case. But um, here, you can't. 
you know, you are asked to sign documents daily, as Greg will tell you, hundreds of documents. You really got to understand that that's, that's key and, and getting the people that, that really going to support you, that you really trust and rely on is, is absolutely critical. So that's the second point. And I think thirdly, again, advice, it comes around advice and taking time, a good legal partner would really help you and, and, and stop you making some basic errors. So, you know, people always say, our oh, lawyers are expensive and so on, but, but doing it wrong could cost you a lot more money. And I think using the bodies like the BCCT, the government, and other agencies, the Thai Board of Investment, again, talk to people, spend time, be patient even with that process and get the right people. They're the three messages for me. Is English language a challenge when doing business in Thailand? But absolutely. I, you know, one of the big challenges here, generally, I hinted at it earlier, vocational education is a real, uh, is a real issue. It's a skills level generally and, and what that can add to your workplace. But English uh, is massive. I think uh, if, you, if you look at statistics uh, in the region, Thailand fares pretty badly with that. So we, we run English programs and we pay additional money to people who improve their English skills. So, so as an incentive, we actually reward them for, for getting up the ladder in terms of English. All our management clearly must speak English. That's our means of communication globally. But even our workers, right down to the guys on the shop floor, if they, if they do well in their English tests and English exams, we pay them more. It's a real challenge. And do you have to get you have to get literature translated, sort of internal literature translated, and sort of marketing literature constantly translated, not dated? Yes, um, I think from a customer base point of view, our customers are mature enough and so on to to, to deal in English. And many of the yeah. utility sector sectors here actually uh, transact in English at, right. at some points. Uh, but but clearly, when we are you know, installing equipment, clearly the guys uh, at that level need everything in Thai. When we issue COVID notaries and, and so on, you know, they're always in English and Thai. We, we only have five expats, six expats in 200 people. So most of our people speak Thai. Uh, in this commercial office, clearly English is also a key. I think one thing, just while I think of it, it is that it's different for us and, and how I always have to talk to the board. You know, we have a big operation in the Middle East. We have a sales team responsible for sort of circa 20 countries. And guess why? They all speak Arabic. They might speak it slightly different to the Qataris and so on and so on. But here, the Thais speak Thai, the Vietnamese speak Vietnamese and the Cambodians speak Khmer. And, and there's not a lot of interface, interchange. So English becomes a, if you like, a common commercial language for us. Um, and and that's, that's a difference in operating in, in, for example, the Middle East where we've done for so long. I think from our perspective, David, as a chain mates, the level of English language here is not a deal breaker, but it is something that a company needs to address when they come into the market. We as a chamber, when we engage with government here, we send a Thai translation along with our, with our English advocacy position. It's as much as a courtesy because, again, it's common sense. Our target, the minister or the permanent secretary, may understand English quite well, but those who will be advising him on a response or, or how they action the particular point won't. So again, it, it's a little bit more of that common sense point. If you want to get a point across, let's put it over in the format or the language that the listener or the reader will understand best. And I think the other point that, that Carl mentioned relating to, to perhaps the lower level workers who, who, who need to engage in English language training, this is often seen as a major benefit for them as employees, it's a hook for them to join companies 
not only will they learn skills, but they will improve their English language capabilities. And, and companies that actually provide that, they may look at it you know, as a necessity, we, to, we need to do that, but the employees will see it as a plus. Thank you. Great to speak to you both today. Thank you so much for giving up your time to, to uh, talk to our listeners as well. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will be uh, very interested in the, in the content that you provided. So thank you so much indeed for your time today. Pleasure, David. Oh, pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can share our podcasts and tag us in with the hashtag BritJamSG on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. For more information on the British Chamber of Commerce in Singapore, please visit www.britcham.org.sg or should you wish to get involved with our podcasts, please feel free to contact us at info at britcham.org.sg. Thank you.